Pope is the thing with feathers. Pope is the thing with feathers. That's like a bird. Like a bird. That perches in the soul. That perches in the soul. Welcome to the Thing with Feathers podcast, a podcast about birds and hope. I'm your host, birding enthusiast, Courtney Ellis. Welcome back to the Thing with Feathers podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Ellis. So delighted to have with us today Anita Peebles. She comes to us from Seattle, Washington. We have two Washingtonians, is that what you call yourselves, two weeks in a row here on the podcast. We are blessed with some Pacific Northwest birders. Anita is the co-pastor of Seattle First Baptist Church, the co-author of New Directions for Holy Questions, Progressive Christian Theology for Families. She's a birder. She's amazing. We're so glad she's here. Welcome, Anita. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about you. What are you interested in? What does your life look like? What is the weather like up there in December in Seattle? Well, I have to say that we are recording this on um, what all of the uh, weather people around the area are saying is going to be the wettest day of this year. So I'm looking outside and it's uh, definitely very, well, how how people imagine Seattle uh, right now. Um, But I, uh, I grew up in Michigan Um, and so I identify thoroughly as a Midwesterner, um, and, uh, I went to Oberlin college in Northwestern Ohio, um, or Northern Ohio, um, near, near Cleveland and studied environmental science and, um, and religion there. And that was kind of like where I started really feeling a call to preach and a call to ministry. Um, went to Vanderbilt Divinity School in Nashville. So I've really been all around the country um, and and birding all around the country. Um, now I'm delighted to uh, live in, uh, in Seattle with my husband. Um, we've been married almost five months. Um, and our beautiful cat, who is also a birder, but in a different way than I am. Um, and so I'm, uh, I'm a writer and I love the outdoors and I love baking. Um, and I do a lot of children's ministry. So that's a bit about me. Married five months. I want to hone in on that. I think you're the first newlywed we've had on the podcast. Congrats. Thank you so much. Yeah. Is he a birder? These are important questions. Um, it is an important question. Um, he's becoming one. I think that, um, he, he kind of didn't know what he was getting into when he started hanging out with me and my family. Um, but, uh, we're, we're actually both really far from our families out here, except for, I have a second cousin who lives in Bellingham, just North of Seattle, um, a little ways North and, um, and he's a birder. And so he and his wife take us, um, birding, especially to see the snow geese in the Skagit Valley in the winter. Um, and it's, and it's just beautiful and it's becoming a ritual. And so, um, my husband, Scotty is getting really, uh, really acquainted with the binoculars and the Peterson's bird guide that I keep in the car and, um, and just, you know, spotting different formations of birds when we're out and about. So I'm really pleased. (laughs) You're doing the Lord's work there. That's how we start one by one, just bringing our family in on the birding thing. I, I have that snow geese spot on my bucket list. I've never been, but I've heard there are just thousands of them and it's this, like the thundering of the wing beats. What's it like? It's, it's amazing really. Um, and I have to admit that 
I, I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, when my, when my cousin said, Hey, you know, why don't you drive a little bit North and we'll drive a little bit South and we'll meet in the Skagit Valley. Um, and I'm so glad that it's become kind of a ritual for us at the end of December, beginning of January every year. Um, but it's, it's really stunning. Um, there are a few different, a few different farms that are kind of like the, you know, always visit, um, locations for the snow geese, um, and for like some, some swans too. Um, and so you can really, you can really just follow all of the birders, you know, there's like this little train of cars going from one farm to another in the valley. And people are like, Oh, well, I heard they're over on this road. And then everybody kind of like goes over there. Um, and their little honks are just adorable. And we just giggle as we're watching them. Um, but yet thousands and thousands. And um, it's, it's just amazing to see so many birds right there. And then the Skagit Valley also has a lot of, a lot of other, a lot of other birds that you could see. Um, they're home to a, a bunch of raptors. So you can just like, you know, spot a big nest in a tree and be like, oh, I wonder whose house that is. Um, so you get a lot of, uh, a lot of other birds um, on the list when you're, when you're up there. Mm, that's so fun. Someday, someday I'm just, I'll knock on your door and be like, take me to the geese. <laughs> It's, it's a great idea. Um, it's, it's really so beautiful. Yeah. I would I would give you advance warning. You're a newlywed. I wouldn't yeah. do that to you. <laughs> well, you're welcome. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, well, you wrote that you were raised by birders, that your grandparents um, were not necessarily people of faith. They were kind of, I think you wrote, antagonistic toward things of faith. Um, and yet they, they raised you with this appreciation for the natural world. Will you tell us that story? How did your birding journey begin? Yeah. Well, I was getting ready to talk with you this morning and I was, you know, making notes about like, well, what, you know, what are those formative stories? And I really just truly feel like I've just been around birds and been attentive to birds my whole life. Um, so my, uh, my grandma and grandpa on my dad's side, um, just avid birders, um, my, my grandpa was a zoologist, my grandma was a, a botanist and, um, in Michigan and they, they led bird walks, um, just for, for neighbors, for friends, for people at Michigan state university, um, with their, uh, Michigan botanical club, you know, um, it was, they were just so active and always paying attention to what's around them. Um, and that definitely, uh, you know, filtered down with, with my dad and my mom and, um, some like one of my earliest memories is going to see sandhill cranes in the southern um, the southern part of Michigan, um, and we would just stand on this hillside out in the wind and watch the sandhill cranes. Um, and so, uh, so I just from a young age was going on bird walks, was wondering what birds were at the, I mean I don't even know how many feeders <laughs> around my house and my grandparents' house, um, and really enjoying learning about the. I guess like the rhythm of the seasons and like who is around right now and what are they doing? And, um, and I just really, uh, I, I think birds have just been kind of like a, a gateway or a doorway into, into noticing and appreciating the world around me. Um, and so as we're putting up our Christmas tree, um, over the past few days, I noticed that I have so many ornaments that are birds and my grand, my grandparents and my parents 
they always said like if you have bird ornaments you have to put them at the top because they want to sit at the top of the tree and then if you have like you know other animals that you know have have four legs and go on the ground like they go lower on the tree but the birds are really like up high close to the angels (laughs) so that's really nice um but uh you're right that um I did say that you know my grandparents weren't weren't really religious um and and at times were antagonistic um and yet I think with um with like different sides of my of my family and how I was experiencing the natural world um it it really didn't feel that different you know spirituality and and that attentiveness to our surroundings and to how we relate to nature. Um, and so I think, I think that just my, my spirituality was really tied up in the ecology of wherever I am. Um, just from when I was a a little kid in, in the center of Michigan. Mm. And that ties into the book that you've written about these new directions for holy questions, which you mentioned was not explicitly a book about birding, but it is. it has ties to caring for creation and how the natural world can influence our faith. And it sounds like that's kind of been part of the story for you as well, that this book came out of your your personal journey. What what sorts of holy questions are you encouraging people to ask? Well, I I love that. Um, I think that really so many of... So many of the questions that we have in our in our book, which I wrote with the Reverend Claire Brown, who's an Episcopal priest in East Tennessee, Ooh, um, so ecumenical. I love it. Yeah. Well, that was another fun part of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I'm American Baptist, um, but we we really wanted to approach um, Christian theology from from a point of view of asking questions and of wonder. And really just so many I wonder questions, you know, also shout out to Godly Play, which really, um, you know, prompts those wondering questions. Um, but really, we're, we're trying to, um, in, this, in this book, reach out to people who are doing theology and who are spiritual wherever they are. If they live in a city, if they live in a rural area, no matter what their family structure is, just saying like, you know, God is with you wherever you are. And you can ask these holy questions of like, how do we care for creation? Who is Jesus? What is the Holy Spirit about? Why do we gather in a church and really start from that place of, of wonder and how, you know, connecting around these questions um, of theology really does, um, really does, you know, bring people together and um, is, is a center of gathering um, for a community. Yeah. Well, that's that's beautiful. I, I think the more, you know, I've, I've three kids of my own, the, the youngest is five and the oldest is 11, and they're just built out of questions. Like kids are built out of questions. And the more we, you know, whether we're, we're educators in the world of nature and birds, or we're faith leaders, or we're just parents or grandparents or people who love kids, people who, you know, are going to hang out with that neighbor kid who, who always has a thousand things to say, encouraging those questions that, questions are good. Questions are holy things. Curiosity is, you know, I'm, we're making it extra ecumenical on the podcast. I'm a Presbyterian minister that that curiosity is a deeply holy thing given to us by God. And that wonder, I think is such a driving force in, in doing good and in connecting with our neighbors. And so much of our culture is dedicated toward fear and anger and ramping up these negative emotions. But I think wonder and joy are even more, more powerful. And when you give kids that permission, 
I'm getting preachy now. I got to turn it off. I'm excited about your book. I'm excited about what you're doing in the world. Um, so thank you for encouraging kids to ask, ask questions and approach the world with wonder because I think they naturally do. And, and life kind of sucks that out of them over time. I think so. And, you know, I really, I, I was just talking with my spiritual director recently about this actually. Um, and just reflecting on how I had people in my life, um, who, who encouraged me when I was a child to ask questions and to be observant and to, try to figure out like how different pieces of the world fit together, which I absolutely relate to like making scientific hypotheses. And, um, and I just feel like those go together so beautifully. And so I was just reading, um, this morning, um, the, the chapter in our, in our book on caring for creation and was just thinking about like, we, we talk about um, sometimes humans treat the world around us like we exist outside of it, but we don't. We are part mm. of creation, just like the rocks that make up the mountains and the grasses growing on the plains and the birds that migrate south for the winter. The land affects us and we affect the land. God's dream is for all of creation to live in harmony together. Um, and that's really like the foundation of, um, of what we what we're doing in that work. Mm. So, and what I try to bring to my ministry with the kids in my church. Harmony. Yeah. Even if, even if, I mean, I wake up some mornings and I think our seven-year-old has been storing up questions all night and I'm like, I just, mommy needs a hot beverage and a minute. Like I, I'm, I'll, I will get to it. We can talk about what astronauts eat in a minute. I'm so excited you're into that. Like, yeah. it's, now I'm uh, just like, oh, what do they eat? <laughs> what do they? I know. I'm like, I will Google that for you, but I just, first I need my tea. Um, yeah, so Anita, pivoting back to the birds, what's your favorite and why? And I know that's the worst, hardest question. So you can have more than one. There are no rules. Um, well, I do have uh, several favorites, and it really is hard to choose. I was talking with my husband about this, and he was he was naming some of my favorites, and I was like, no, I'm forgetting something. Um, so I'll just give a little shout-out to some of my favorites. Um, I love loons and snowy owls and great blue herons and blue jays. Um, but I do think I have to go with the chickadee. Uh, just really close to my heart. And um, every time I see them at our bird feeder on our teeny tiny balcony in Seattle, I just get so excited. Um, and there's a little shrub um, like right next to the driveway into our apartment building that I'm pretty sure there's a family of chickadees living there. Um, I just really associate them with with hope and with joy. And, um, and they're just so delightful to listen to. And you know, especially in the winter, you know, it doesn't really snow that often in Seattle, but, um, but in Michigan, like, I just love like looking at little little bird tracks around the feeder and being like, Oh, who was here? And the chickadees are always around. Um, yeah. And I, um, I think one of the reasons why I associate, um, you know, hope and joy with the chickadees and they're so close to my heart is, um, because of my grandma, Betty, um, and she, uh, she just loved chickadees and she taught me when I was a little kid, you know, about how they go chickadee dee dee. And so then we would always go outside and try to like talk to the birds. And, um, my grandpa was a really great, uh, he, he was just very good at doing 
any bird call. Like he could listen to it and then like he would practice it and he was a great whistler and he would kind of communicate. But like the chickadee was, was my grandma's. Um, and I, you know, I had this kind of profound experience. Um, she died on December 10th, uh, 2016. And, um, and that was the first grandparent that I, that I lost. And, you know, as I've already said a little bit, like there, she was really impactful in my life. Um, and I spent a lot of time with her, um, and she loved the winter birds and, you know, her Christmas sweaters always had like chickadees on them or maybe some cardinals here and there, but mostly chickadees. And, um, when, when I got back to, uh, to Vanderbilt Divinity in Nashville after the, after the holiday break and after going through this, um, this, this grief in this particular way for the first time, um, I was talking to, uh, a, one of my, uh, one of my professors who is, who leads like creative writing and spiritual memoir writing classes, which I had been in the semester before. Um, and it all, it all ties in together. Um, and we were just talking about, about grief and about, um, you know, how the, how the ones that we, that we love don't really leave us. And, um, different ways. And I was kind of like, well, you know, my grandma was not religious. Like she's not really, um, like, I don't think she would, she would think about that, about how people are still with you or around you. Um, even after they die and go on to whatever is next. Um, and right as we were having that conversation, um, my professor had a little bird feeder outside his window and this little chickadee hopped in and just like, just sat on the bird feeder and stared through the window at us and we kind of stared back (laughs) and we just waved and it was kind of like nodding its little head at us and I was just like well that's not a coincidence you know and I so I like totally believe that 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 bird was my grandma kind of saying like I see you you know I'm I'm here um and so you know I don't think I would go as far to say as like I talk to my grandma through birds, um, but I feel like every time the little chickadee is hopping around, um, you know, on my on my bird feeder or in that shrub in the driveway, um, I just th- think of her, and that's just kind of an invitation to um, to memory, I think, mm-hmm. and and that's how I see chickadees now. That's beautiful. They're such hardy little things too. You know, they make it through the winter, through the storm. I grew up in Wisconsin, so yay Midwest, but the, those black capped chickadees that don't migrate even, you know, it's Mm -hmm. 20, 30 below and they're still hanging out and they're fluffed up. So they look like more like a ball than a bird, but. I just love the puffy bird season. It's just so delightful. It's so wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) I was delighted. We moved to California nine years ago and to discover there are chickadees out here as well. We have mountain chickadees. Mm -hmm. And I think you guys have chestnut backed up by you or do you have black capped up there? Um, I don't think we do. Yeah. No. I think there's a like East West divide on those, yes. but I love that every area of the country kind of has its own chickadee mm-hmm. and the calls are not the same, but they're similar enough that I was out here and I was like, wait a second. I didn't think we had black capped chickadees. No, no, it's a little different. Oh, it's a mountain chickadee. They're, yeah. they're, they're all over those little, little gifts. Yeah. Yeah. They, they are little gifts. I mean, it, it feels like it, you know, receiving a little gift every time we can, just notice something else around us. And I mean, 
they, you know, you probably weigh them in, in ounces. They're just so, they're just so delicate and so hearty. Hmm. Just love them. It's a reminder that we too can be two things at once that, you know, birds are so resilient and yet they're so fragile. They're so hardy, like you said, and yet they're so delicate. It's, it's, it's a profound, profound part of, of birds and, and of people, I think. And that's kind of like how I, how I think about, um, my relationship to birding and to chickadees in particular, that there, that there is this grief and, and kind of like, you know, a sacred memory. Um, but there's also a lot of joy and delight um, and those absolutely just go together all the time and they're always holding hands. And, um, and I just, I think that's really, really powerful and something I try to hold on to. Mm. I, I can see that bird on that bird feeder outside that, outside that window at the office. You know, I can picture it looking in. It's a beautiful yeah, story. Staring in just, like, yeah. I've got nowhere else to be. I'm just watching you. I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> Your professor's like, see, just like I said, yeah. Ob- object lesson. That's right. He probably he probably cued the bird. He had that all set up for you, or she. Yeah, I, <laughs> I I mean I think he would, but he's also kind of like one of those, you know, a little a little bit like magical Cinderella kind of <laughs> kind of people where like animals are just kind of like flocking to him. <laughs> totally, the the Disney princess of the professorial world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my husband went to Vanderbilt Divinity, so oh, we'll have to nice. have to com- compare notes on that in a, in a little bit. He, he did his PhD there, and I thought I'd get all this time in Nashville, and uh, I ended up taking a call up into Wisconsin. So I think I spent six months in Nashville. I never even made it to the Parthenon. We had all these oh, plans. We were going to see all these things. We saw one show at the Ryman. That was it. Yeah. But what a beautiful place to get a degree. Yeah, I I really loved Nashville, um, and Nashville's where I met my husband, and he's he's from there. Um, and so, you know, we're, it it was, it was really cool just getting to be in a different part of the country and get to know a different part of the country. Um, because that was my first time living outside the Midwest. And then, you know, and then now both of us are kind of out of, out of where we, where we come from and where our hearts are and out on the West coast. Yeah. Ministry takes you places. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Nashville was the first place I lived. So I grew up in the Midwest like you. I've lived West Coast, East Coast. Nashville was the first place I lived where waitresses and waiters would come to the table to serve us and they would make the small talk like they do, but they would ask, where do you go to church? And I was like, oh, interesting. Like I'm in the Bible Belt. I've never lived in the Bible Belt. This is an acceptable question. I feel like you're going to lose tips from certain people by asking this question. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, I had a great church in Nashville. <laughs> right. So I had an answer, but I'm like, you know, does this get you in trouble ever? And they're like, right. no, everybody asks. All right. Yeah. So Anita, you're a pastor. You're a newlywed. You're living far from home in the land of different chickadees. Yes. Where are you finding hope these days? Well, I'm really finding hope in um, in the children that I'm working with. Um so I, I began my work with Seattle First Baptist um, in 2018 after I graduated from Vanderbilt, and I was called as the Associate Pastor for Next Generation Ministries, which is just such a fun title. Um, and I think that really, really showed up because I definitely had the most fun of all of the ministers um, working with these amazing kids and youth. Um, and then, you know, now I'm now I'm one of the co-pastors, which is which is really wonderful and and a gift. Um, but just watching these kids in, you know, in my church grow, um, just yesterday at church, um, 
this this tween was wearing high heels. And I was like, oh my goodness, I think you're taller than me. And I met you when you were six and, you know, you were like at my waist. Um, and so it, it's just, it's just magical to watch these um, kids grow. And it's really an honor. Um, and it, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go so far as, as to be like, yes, my ministry makes a difference. And also the way that I see them engaging with the world and bringing their curiosity and that wonder. Um, I mean, they're, they're always like, oh, Pastor Anita, you're always saying, I wonder whatever. Um, but they are wondering about everything. Um, and with our youth group, you know, they've really, over the last year, um, taken to, to wondering about mental health and, mm-hmm. um, and mental health care and its availability for children and teenagers in Seattle and um, have really prompted me and the church to learn more and to, um, to, to do some activism around, um, around mental health. And so, you know, these, these kids that I'm working with, you know, they've got their own lives and being a child and a tween and a teen is challenging. Um, And they've got, all this stuff going on in school and family and friends and all sorts of stuff. And also they, they make time to wonder and to look at their world and say, you know, I, I see something that's not right. Um, I see something that I can affect positively. And then they just go and do it. It's not a question. They don't have to prepare themselves, you know, um, or like be an expert on something. They're just like, yeah, why wouldn't we write a letter to the editor of the Seattle Times? Why wouldn't we try to talk to the school board about providing more mental health counselors in schools? Um, they're just they're just amazing. Yeah. Hmm. Curiosity and courage. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, they they're they're just they're so brave. I think these these kids. You know what they what they're going through and what I you know, what I get to witness as, as a pastor is really, is really an honor, um, Mm. with them and just to be invited into, into their lives, um, you know, cheering for Mm. them at a, at a soccer game or clapping for them at their dance recital or their theater performance, um, or just having a conversation during coffee hour, um, about something that they saw and they really just wanted to tell someone about it. Who cares? You know, I just, Mm. I just think that's so special. Hmm. What would you tell a parent or someone who works with kids about helping foster that wonder? Or, or maybe it's not even that we're fostering it, but we're just not killing it because life tends yeah. to tamp it down. But how do you encourage them to keep following those threads of wonder? Yeah. Uh, well, definitely, you know, starting from just using a construction of, of how we speak and um, how we talk to each other with I wonders and um, and leaving that curiosity open. Um, and then I think, you know, adults forget how to be playful sometimes. And, um, and I, I don't think I was actually playful until I was an adult and realized that I hadn't been playful as a child. I was always like a very serious, like intellectual child. Um, and then we grew up to be ministers. This is what happens. <laughs> yes. And then we grew up to be ministers. And then I'm just a little goofball, um, you know, in, in the pulpit or, or wherever else. Um, but, but I think just, just 
being present and and playing, be wi- being willing to say, I don't know, let's find out together. Being willing to say, you know, well, where does that question come from? Why do I wonder why you're asking that question? What are you seeing? What is your experience of this thing? You know, how how are you seeing something um, in the world that doesn't make sense to you, um, and why? Um, and just really being being present. You know, I kind of think about them um, as like the the car conversations. You know, that you that you have with kids or with parents um, when you're just driving home from school or, you know, on your way somewhere and, and the, and, and the kids are just talking like that, that's real sacred space where you're, you know, you've kind of like focused on something else. Um, but you're able to, to connect, um, in a, in a really special way. Um, Mm. like, I think that's, I think that's really special. Mm. That's a good word. Yeah. I always, by the time I've gotten the kids in the car, my brain is already on the next task. But they do. They say things in the car and they ask questions in the car. And the, if I can be present to that, you know, if you're the carpool driver or you're the parent doing the pickup or you're the, you know, our, our youth pastor, we had to get a bigger van because he spends so much of his time just driving kids around, picking them up, dropping them off, you know, because junior hires can't drive and we got to get them from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. But that's where a lot of the good questions come out. Yeah, Definitely. Or when it's bedtime, they always have lots of like that. We call our youngest the Stallosaurus. We're like, okay, what you got? What you got, baby girl? Yeah. <laughs> More questions. Yeah, I was uh, I was recently um, babysitting a friend's kid, and um, and I I didn't get to you know be with be with them all the way until bedtime, but I could I could tell that there was some you know significant delaying. Like they they were you know she was looking at the clock and she's like. Hmm. <laughs> like, I wonder what's going to happen now, you know, and just like starting to tell, well, did I tell you this? And I saw this thing at school and my friend said, whatever. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, <laughs> I see you. <laughs> Our kids turn into the sloths from Zootopia around bedtime. I'm like, how is it taking you five minutes to get down the hallway? It's not a big hallway, but we're, you know, we're getting there. Yeah, They are at their, they are at their most delaying. And my husband and I are at our most exhausted and it's, it's a delightful combination every night, every night. And this is why we need folks who work in ministry with children, because they remind us that this is sacred, holy time and not just to be endured. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need it. I need the word. Well, and, and of course, you know, like I don't, I don't have um, children of my own at this time. And so I've, I have a very different perspective. Um, but I also think, you know, just having, having other, other adults in their, in their lives that, that care about kids and that can encourage and listen to the kids and engage with those wonder, like that's, that's one one thing I love about church, um, it's, you know, one of the only intergenerational places in our society. Um, and so, you know, hopefully as a, as a minister, I can, you know, I can kind of like tap in for some of those questions and storytellings, um, and, and, you know, provide support for, um, for the children and also for the people who are raising them and caring for them. Totally. It does. It takes a village. And I think in this season of life with young kids where we, you know, my husband and I are just generally exhausted most of the time, those other people and those other voices and that, you know, our kids come to church and they have 15 additional grandparents that aren't biologically related and 15 additional aunts and uncles and cousins. And the gift of that, of 
because part of it is, you know, I just need five minutes to use the restroom on my own. Like, please, please, please just, Mm -hmm. but part of it also is the gift of seeing someone else see your kids reminds you of the gift that your kids are. You know, when they're like, that was an amazing question. I wouldn't have heard it as an amazing question. I would have heard it as an annoying question because it's my 58th question of the day. But when our Sunday school coordinator says that was an amazing question, I can suddenly see a new, oh, it it was, it was. Yeah. And I can see it because I've had five minutes to use the restroom on my yeah. own. Uh-huh. <laughs> Glory be. Yeah. It, it does take a, a village to, um, well, to do anything, but like definitely to raise children, you know, and, and I think like, um, as I'm, as I'm also thinking about how, um, how U S American society is like, so, um, well, like we can be so separate from the creation and from nature, but really like, like there's an ecology of a community and, Mm. um, and, and we can, we can look to nature for like how everybody plays their part. And, Mm. um, and there are so many different, different roles and needs that are fulfilled. Um, I, I think that's exactly what we should be emulating in a community. Um, everybody Mm. does have their, their part and, um, and, and we can support each other and help each other's growth. Um, so Mm. I'm very interested in like systems thinking and, and ecological design and stuff. So, um, so I try to like bring that lens to the faith community too. Ecology of community. I want to read a book on that. Can you write that one next? That sounds really fun. (laughs) Do it. Do it. (laughs) Well, we are about to close out 2023. We are in the season of Advent. We're barreling toward the holidays and the new year. Um, What are you looking forward to in birding in 2024? Is there a bird you really want to see? Are there any travels that you're taking? Are you going to go to Michigan in April and see the three birds that are still there? Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, we haven't done our, our annual, uh, Skagit Valley trip. So, um, so we're going to have to be coordinating with my cousin about that. Um, which is always, always just lovely to, you know, bundle up and take the binoculars and the spotting scope out and, um, and try to try to get close to these, these beautiful birds, um, in this gadget. And so I would just encourage anybody around this gadget to, really just pay pay attention or or make a pilgrimage um for the snow geese and for you know whoever else is around um i i am going to be doing some traveling and i always do take my binoculars um sometimes i forget them in my suitcase uh but uh i'm i'm going to hawaii and i'm really excited to see what what birds are in hawaii um just it's such a it's such a different place than where than where i'm from and so i really I'm looking forward to learning about the ecology um, and, and just, uh, I kind of think about it as neighbors of like, Oh, who lives here? Like, I want to, I want to learn, you know, about, about the the people who make their home there and about the, the birds who make their home there too. Hawaii is a birder's dream. That's, that's going to be a great trip. I'm so excited. Yeah. It's always good to get away from Seattle in the winter. Um, everybody mm-hmm. in, in this area, like January, February, you know, tries to, tries to get out. 
Totally. Totally. Yeah. That was the thing about living in a colder place. We, we look forward to November, December, January in California because it's usually not on fire. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's 70s. My kids are like, do I have to wear a coat when we go to Wisconsin? And I'm like, totally up to you. I'm not going to fight that battle. I'm just going to let them leave the airport and discover things for yes. themselves. Yes. Yes. They will, they will say, you know what? This is actually really useful. <laughs> Oh, it's not. I'm not in California anymore. My husband grew up in California, and we met at Wheaton College in Chicago. Okay. And yeah. he he didn't know there was anything between a hoodie and the like parka you would climb K two in. Okay. So he had these two options, and That's we're like, you know, part. like we layer. There are base layer. There one. He's like, this is a whole new. I don't. Please explain to me why mm-hmm. long underwear would be a thing a person would own. Yeah. yeah. My my best friends in in college were from California, from the Bay Area. And we were in, um, we were in Northern Ohio. And, um, so I, I take great pride in that. I taught, I taught them how to drive in snow, which I'm just like, I, I feel like that's a great accomplishment, um, to share that wisdom. But I also took them shopping for their like first real winter coats. You know, they're like, okay, well this is different from going skiing, but cause I just like need to wear it all the time. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's actually almost hard to buy the right gear here in Southern California. Cause our coats oh. are decorative. You know, you can get a nice little cotton crocheted beanie that's going to do nothing for you. So you, you people kind of need the, like, here's, here's the catalog that, you know, uh-huh. welcome to LL Bean. It's going to be your friend. Yeah. 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 <laughs> REI. Yeah. You got to go to the, like the experts <laughs> for sure. That, that's right. <sighs> yeah. You know, I haven't, I haven't been to, um, to Michigan in the winter, but this conversation is really just, you know, just given a little extra prompt of like, yeah, I do, I do miss the cold actually. Um, yeah. and I do miss the snow. And my dad just texted me a beautiful photo of our backyard, um, in the first snow, like I think like a week and a half ago or so. Um, so I'm just like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to return to the, to that place and, and say hi to all of those all of those little little birds and neighbors. I miss it in small doses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. yes, small yes. doses. Yeah. Although we're realizing our children are growing up as, you know, as house cats out here where they have like a five degree acceptable temperature range and they'll say things like, well, it's it's raining. Do we have to go to church? Isn't it canceled? And I'm like, oh, oh, sweet children. Like mm-hmm. you have no idea the blizzards that I drove to, to worship in when I was a kid. It's, it's, yeah, right. it's a thing. That's right. That's so real. <laughs> Well, Anita, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I'll connect to all your socials and things like that. You guys can find Anita all over the place doing the good work that she does. We will link to your book as well. Yeah. Well, I I just want to make a note. Um, I think you said something about, you know, there being an east-west divide with the birds that we have out here. And I learned that really early on in my time in Seattle um, when I saw this, like, beautiful black and blue jay outside. Um, and it's a Stellar's jay and I'd never seen one before. And I was just like, Oh wow. What is that bird? And I asked my neighbor and she said, well, that's a blue jay. And I was like, trust me, it's not, it's not a blue jay. (laughs) This is a different bird. And so I, I called my grandpa and I was just like, what is happening? And he's like, Oh, West of the Rockies, it's different. Like, let, you know, let's talk about that. And, um, and that was a really precious conversation. But I think that, you know, I I think any paying attention to the nature wherever you are, like, you know, what, what plants and trees are growing, um, and what birds are around 
can just help you help you ground yourself and help you be in a place and and be present. Um, I think of that like you know that's the ministry of noticing and just um, just sharing. You know, here here I am. You know, um, I'm going I'm going to live here too, and I want to know what's what's around me and get to know my surroundings. Um, hmm. I want to book on that too, Anita. You, you got to get busy in all yeah. your, in all your spare time. I know all of the pastor spare time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a myth. It's a myth. Yeah. I, I have dreams. I have dreams of, I'm, I've like started to, to write an ecological memoir. I just like mm. sat down a few, a few years ago for Lent. Um, you know, I got like three days into it and then was like, wow, I'm really busy. Um, in this season, but I just like made a list, um, of, you know, all of these different, most, mostly birds and plants, um, and, you know, some, some trees and locations, um, around the Great Lakes area, but just like, you know, things that I have stories about or, um, yeah, or just like feel some special connection with. So I'm just like, oh, I should, I should keep working on that. Yeah. I look forward to I look forward to getting my hands on your current book and I also look forward to the the books to come because there's a there's a voice there for sure. Well, thank you so much and I and I hope you I hope you enjoy um the book that Claire and I have have created. Um we're we're really proud of it and um though we say like it you know is geared for children, um we really hear from a lot of adults um who are just like, Oh, I never realized that I have this question about, you know, why did, why did Jesus die? Or what is the church for? Um, you know, where does it come from? Like, what is the Holy spirit? Um, so, so we try to like, you know, provide an, provide an entrance into those questions. Hmm. I love that. And when we give kids permission to ask questions, we also kind of tacitly give adults permission Absolutely. to remember that we used to have questions. It used to be okay to ask things. Maybe it could be okay again yeah. to admit we don't know everything and to start from there. Absolutely. And, you know, and once you start asking questions and you embrace that curiosity and, and wonder about the world, you know, that that's just a whole other way of, way of being that is, that is open. Mm. Well, Anita Peebles, thank you so much for the gift of your time here on the Thing with Feathers podcast. I wish you a wonderful Advent and a Merry Christmas and also all the snow geese you can handle. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. The Thing with Feathers is produced by me, Courtney Ellis. Many thanks to Del Belcher for the music to Todd Peterson for the name inspiration, and to Emily Dickinson for the beautiful poem and for being in the public domain. Until next time, my friends, keep looking up. What is it going to show? Is it that?